Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Athlete Podcast. I'm Ross from Athlete Strength and Conditioning. And today on this podcast, we have a special guest in Rafael Freitas. Um, Rafael is from the United States, so he's an uh, athletic trainer. Um, we know them as physiotherapists, so he works almost like a physiotherapist for uh, a baseball club in the Major League Baseball, which is uh, one of the major sports in America. So it's equivalent um, to cricket. So for Australians, it's it's equivalent to cricket. So it's quite a major sport. Um, so we're pretty lucky to have uh, Rafael into on the podcast. So Rafael, welcome. Awesome, Ross. Thanks for the intro. Uh, looking forward to talk to you about uh, some of what athletic training is like in the in the U.S. and in baseball. So what got you into baseball? Um, actually, uh, when I, I'm from, I'm from Brazil. So obviously my, uh, my favorite sports soccer, uh, but when I moved to the U S I was, uh, I was around 14 years old and, um, I just started watching baseball. Um, I always enjoy the sport and whenever I was in school in athletic training school, um, I did a rotation, uh, for the, uh, university baseball team. And, uh, I enjoyed the atmosphere. I enjoyed the uh, the camaraderie that we had uh, with staff and players. Um, I also enjoyed the challenges that uh, uh, working for a baseball team uh, will provide you. Um, I enjoyed the um, the injuries that I had to evaluate and treat every day. So um, I just figured you'd be a, a good challenge um, and, uh, you know, just a change of pace from always uh, – watching and you know playing soccer so um yeah I've I've been in baseball since 2012 and and uh and I really really enjoy it I know there's not a lot of uh, Brazilians in in baseball but uh but yeah here I am that's awesome so are there any other sports so you you mentioned soccer have you had any um strength conditioning or sports science or any kind of like coaching role in the soccer industry as well uh in the soccer industry no, well, um, as a athletic training student, um, I worked for the women's soccer uh, team for a season. So um, I wasn't, I was just pretty much a, an assistant. So almost like a, like an intern to the main athletic trainer, but we still got to do uh, field coverage, evaluation of injuries, treating, um, but we were just uh, pretty much helpers to the, to the main athletic trainer. And when I, I, um, when I was in graduate school here in the U.S. as well, I was a graduate assistant, but um, I was actually uh, the, tr- uh, the athletic trainer for the women's soccer team there as well for two years. So I have had experience with, um, with soccer. Um, I've also helped, um, this was a while ago, with the Major League Combine. Um, whenever they do the, the physical testing, I, I assisted uh, with that. Um, but that's that's as uh, that's as much experience um, in soccer um, that I have here in the U.S. So your time at the moment um, in the MLB for the Milwaukee Brewers, um, mm-hmm. what? So, so just so because we're not really familiar with uh, with baseball, what does like a a week of training look like? So do they do just strength training and baseball specific training, or do they? Um, do some like sprinting and, and conditioning and training as well, or how does that work? So um, 
this season is going to be a different season because of COVID. So we're only doing 60 games. But um, let's just go back to a regular uh, baseball season. Um, so we actually have 162 games in around 180 days. Um, and that's not counting uh, preseason, which is usually uh, around six to seven weeks where we play 33 games. So without counting the playoffs, we could also be another another 30 games. We almost play 200 games a year. So, um, so we only have 18 off days throughout the, the calendar year, which is from October until, uh, excuse me, from February until October 31st. So um, we have to manage a lot of their playing load with what we do in the weight room as well as, uh, as conditioning. Um, so it, I guess uh, the answer is it all depends. If we have a guy that plays seven games in a week, um, and the baseball games are long. Um, they're around three and a half hours and we actually, uh, practice before every single game. So we still do defense, we do, uh, hitting. So, um, so we have to manage their workload with their weight room time. But at the same time, we understand that we have to keep them, um, we have to do stuff in the weight room because, or else they're just going to break. So, um, we have a lot of strategies that we use to uh, kind of balance their playing load with the load that they're doing in the weight room as well as conditioning. But uh, overall, um, there's different phases that we uh, give our athletes um, throughout the year. Obviously, we have some deload phases, um, but, um, um, but, but overall, we do conditioning, weight room. Um, and we pretty much play play every single day. Yeah, so it's massive loads, especially um, for a sport that requires so much power. It's not quite, um, we'll compare it to soccer, so it's not quite the endurance and, and the amount of kilometres that they cover in soccer. However, um, I'm assuming there's, a, there's lots of travel because America is such a big country, and um, so even just travelling and, you know, playing pretty much every day and travelling, that'll take its toll enough, let alone um your recovery and, and all your other um components as well so on this topic so with a club like that you'd almost assume that they basically they'd all live together wouldn't they almost so uh there's not a lot of players from our team that live in milwaukee around just because the winters are so brutal um so usually they live um uh, i say 95% of our, our athletes live somewhere else and they move to Milwaukee during the season. So, um, and they usually live with their families. Um, uh, if we have a couple of young players, they may, may live with, uh, with each other, but, um, I say the majority of them actually, uh, live on their own. They sometimes either rent a house or an apartment or, uh, some players even buy, uh, a house and apartment where they only live during the season. And then when the season's done, they go back home to wherever they live. So with these baseball athletes, cause they've probably got some of the best reflexes in the world or their ability to read cues, I guess, cause you know, those hitters, you can't just react to, to a shot. You, you know, you almost have to anticipate a shot. Is that something you guys work at, at like, there wouldn't be a whole lot of training, but is that something that they work on a lot, you know, trying to develop their reflexes or is it just something practice and practice, you, you know, 
hitting a ball and you're just going to be able to read cues better. Right. I mean, yeah, like you said, these guys, their hand-eye coordination is absolutely incredible. Um, the fact that they can hit uh, a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and then, you know, be able to determine that the pitcher's throwing a curveball or a slider or a changeup, these are all different types of pitches that have different types of movements. And obviously, they don't know what's coming, but these guys are so fast and they're so intelligent and they're so athletic that they can actually recognize those pitches and actually put a good swing in it. But there are th- some athletes that they do uh, do some vision training and some reflex training. Um, but it's usually uh, uh, up to the athlete uh, to do that. We obviously, um, there are drills that uh, we can do with them, but at, this, at the same time, um, it's not some, something that we, uh, that we implement. Um, it's, so it's, it's on a player-to-player basis. Uh, some of them actually have routines uh, to train their vision every day. It's almost like uh, a warm-up to their eyes. Uh, not a lot of people think about the eye as a muscle, but it, it actually, it is, you know? Um, so before they start uh, hitting, throwing, uh, some of our guys, we do some drills. It could be as simple as uh, following their fingers with their eyes or uh, looking side to side really fast just to kind of warm up uh, their vision and their their nervous system as well. It is quite interesting because it's definitely a new philosophy I've heard of anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, th- these guys are they're, – they're, they're, they're definitely incredible. And how it's – it's insane to see how hard and how far the the ball actually goes when they, when they make solid contact. So, um, and they're, they're very skilled individuals and they're, you know, 0.001% of the, of the population that can actually do what they do. So in the weights room is most of their training, would it be lower body power? Would it be, you'd assume it'll be upper body power training and upper body strength training, but is there, is there much of a lower body um, aspect that goes into it as well? Or is it 50-50? What would the ratio be? Um, I would say, obviously, we, um, we work out uh, upper and lower body. But um, over 70% of their power comes from the lower body, either pitching or hitting. Um, because with, uh, with pitching, you're pushing off. And with hitting, you're loading. Um, so, and and by, by lower extremity, I include pretty much the torso and down. Because, um, as you can expect, there's a lot of uh, rotation and movement, so um, we do train a lot of a lot of power and and a lot of rotation as well. Because um, that is pretty much the the bread and butter uh, that these guys do every day. But um, obviously, we don't neglect um, upper body. Um, but uh, especially for pitchers, they they have very specific lifts just because of the amount of mobility that they have to have in their upper body. Uh, and we also want to make sure that they are able to go through the, through the pitching motion. And so there are um, some exercises that we do less uh, than others, just to optimize their, their athletic movement, as opposed to, you know, we don't want to bolt these guys to be uh, football players. You know, they, these are, uh, these are baseball players that have very specific mechanics. And um, I, I, I'd say that baseball is the most mechanically specific sport that there is. Um, and it's, it's, 
very fine-tuned movements that these guys uh, perform every day. So um, a lot of the stuff that um, that we do, yeah, there's a lot of power, but it's a lot of baseball-specific power and um, in, in the weight room. So how many how many players um, or guys are on a squad, and how many are on the field at one time? So uh, again, this year is different because uh, because of COVID, so they had to change the roster size a little bit. But it's usually 25. It's a 25-man roster. Um, usually we have 13 pitchers and 12 uh, position players. Um, and we have nine players on the field uh, at all times. So what kind of um, injuries can you expect with these athletes? Because you'd think there'd be a lot of rotator cuff and shoulder injuries, but are there any lower – because, you, as you just said, with using your lower extremity a fair bit, is there any lower extremity injuries, like a lot of knee injuries, ankle injuries, and, and hip injuries, or is it mainly rotator cuff and, and shoulder injuries? So uh, for pitchers, you see a lot of uh, uh, shoulder injuries, and um, I'm not sure if you have ever heard of the, uh, the infamous Tommy John surgery. That is a, a surgery of the, the elbow. Um, it's uh, whenever the ulnar, ulnar collateral ligament gets compromised and you need surgery, so um, that's, uh, that, that's probably the, the, the big one is the, um, the elbow Tommy John surgery. But, um, uh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, with pitchers, um, uh, you actually get a lot of core injuries too, just because of the velocity of the rotation that they have. And, um, some of the lower body issues that they have is, uh, adductor strains from, from pushing off, off the mound. Um, so I'd say those are the top three for pitchers now for, for hitters, uh, believe it or not, hamstring is the number one uh, cause of uh, lost time in position players in, uh, in the MLB. Um, at, I don't know if you ever watched a, a baseball game. It's kind of like cricket, but there's a lot of stoppage in between, um, you know, a, a forceful sprint. So, um, and, and it's, it, I wouldn't say it's an epidemic, but uh, there's a lot of hamstring injuries and, in, uh, in these, uh, in these baseball players, um, especially hitters. So with, with that, with hitting comes a lot of rotation too, which also causes for some, uh, some core injuries. Um, and then a lot of these guys get hit by, by baseballs, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and that's, that's always, uh, uh, up there on the, uh, on, on the injury, uh, on your injury scale. But, um, um, so ha- hamstrings is, uh, is number one, uh, core and, uh, you know, you, and, and these, these position players, they're throwing you as well from the outfield or from the infield. So you eventually get some, uh, some shoulder injuries as well. So is it more to do with the burst of acceleration, that initial, um, that burst, like first five meters, or is it more once they hit top speed with these hamstring injuries? Yeah. So, um, that, that, that's a, that's a good question. And, I, the answer is both, but for the most part is whenever they are reaching the top speed and reaching uh, first base. So whenever you, uh, so from home, home is where, where they're hitting and to first base is 30 meters. Um, so whenever they're around 20 to 25 meters, that's when they get, they reach their max speed. Um, and a lot of these guys, um, if it's a close play at home play, they will actually, lunge forward 
and try to extend your knee to hit the base uh, faster. So um, that's usually a mechanism. So you're pretty much eccentrically elongating the, the hamstring, trying to get to the base faster. So that's a, that's a big mechanism um, as well. So I, I'd say that's uh, it's a probably 70 to 70 percent uh, chance of uh, the hamstring strain happening when you're getting to that uh, maximal speed and getting to first base and about 30 percent when you're uh, breaking off the uh, a standing position to uh, to an acceleration phase. But that's a that's a really good question. So with your shoulder injuries, and this will probably be a little bit more differently, um, or the different uh, ideology and mechanics, I guess. Yeah. Will that be more to do with overuse because they're throwing the ball so many times and, and you know just wear and tear, or is that to do with you know similar as a hamstring, how it's you know you might be cooling down the muscle and all of a sudden you have to do a maximal contraction? Definitely, um, definitely overuse, and and um, and. Sometimes you you get a guy that um, that may start feeling something early, um, and they just think that they can push through it, and it progressively gets worse, and then they uh, only report the injury whenever it's to the point of pretty much I can't pitch anymore. And but usually guys are pretty good about hey I'm feeling something a little naggy. Can we you know can we start working on something? But uh, it's it's shoulders are are definitely overused. Um, I'm not, obviously there are, uh, cases where it's an acute, uh, like an acute pitch, or if you land on your shoulder, but, um, with a throwing athlete, it's mostly overused. They will start small and then eventually become, uh, become something bigger. And, um, and it's, it's always a battle because we, we play almost every day, you know? So, uh, it's, it's tough to shut down a guy, um, for a long time. Cause obviously the, I think the, the way, the way that we measure success and our profession in the major leagues is the rate of availability of players every day. Um, if we can have them ready every day for 162 games, I feel like we've done our job. Whenever we put a player on an injury list, which is um, 10 days where they can't participate um, that, that is a big burden to our, uh, to our club. Um, so we try to communicate with these guys to let us know if something's bothering them, bothering them early so we can start treating. So it doesn't become something big to the point where we have to uh, put them in the, in the injury list. Um, there are times where players may play with, you know, a little, uh, so, a little soreness or a little discomfort, but um, you know, the earlier that we can uh, detect this and work on it, it's obviously the better and the better prognosis. But uh, like you said, most of the, shoulder injuries that we have, um, they're overuse. And, um, sometimes it's a battle. It's sometimes a season long battle, but sometimes, unfortunately we have to shut these guys down, um, give the, the area some time to cool off and then, uh, progress them back to activity. So with these, uh, with these injuries and, and trying to prevent these injuries, or I don't know if you can prevent these injuries because it's more of a, um, you just got to manage them, but what, what risk factors are you looking at um, to make sure that these guys don't get these overuse injuries in their shoulders? So uh, that's also, that's also a very good question. And um, so obviously we, we do a, a, a screening process uh, before the season. And um, 
So there's there's a few risk factors that uh, that we look at. Um, number one, I wouldn't say number one, but uh, in no particular order, uh, rotator cuff strength is is a big one. Mostly external rotation. Um, most of these guys they have internal internal rotation strength for days. Now um, external rotation it's usually the motion where um, these guys lack. Um, Obviously, we, we want to have a good ratio between internal and external. Um, if it is 50-50, great. You know? um, also, extreme external rotation and 90 degrees, it's another huge uh, risk factor. Um, if you have a lot of external rotation, you compromise a lot of other structures, um, especially because when you're pitching, you I always – an external rotation. So if you have a lot of passive external rotation, whenever you're pitching, you have it even, you have even more. So, um, that is, that is a big risk factor. Um, and we usually analyze, uh, scapular, uh, a scapular path in your, in, in your rib cage. Um, that is uh, a big one as well. So we like to have a, a smooth scap that rides up and down your rib cage. Uh, with movement. Sometimes you see scap that wing, sometimes you see scap that uh, have fluttering movements. Um, that is, that is a big one, but also we look at, uh, at lower body strength. Cause like I, like I told you before, 70% of their power and their pitching comes from the lower body. So if, um, if somebody has great external rotation, they have adequate uh, strength, um, but they have no power of explosion they, it, the shoulder is going to be compromised as well. So uh, it is, it is a whole body um, um, evaluation that we do on these guys. We always, uh, if we work on these red flags, are we always going to uh, avoid injuries? Uh, n- no chance. But I think that um, by having a program, by having a routine, um, I think that we uh, diminish the, the likelihood of, of somebody going down. So with these, what was it? Was it 160 odd games they played? How many games on average would a player, like an athlete, play? Because you, I'd assume that no one would play every single game. That they'd have to have like a and be managed, you know, at least half a dozen, or there'd be a certain number of games that have off. But what would be the average that someone would play? Someone yeah. healthy, anyway. So uh, actually, last year in the Major League Baseball, I think there were two or three players that played every single day. Which is uh, which is quite a feat, uh, but I would say that um, for a position player, a, a non-pitcher, if you play around 150 games, that is on the uh, on the high end uh, of games. Um, I'd say average is around 130, 145, um, but for pitchers, it's different. Um, so, uh, and when I say pitchers, I mean. I'm, I'm assuming they'd be the bowlers for, uh, for cricket. Yeah. Correct. Spot on. Yeah. hundred percent. So, so here in, um, in the U S there's, there are different pitchers with different roles. So the starting pitcher is the starting is the pitcher that starts the game. And we have, uh, nine innings, which is kind of like, uh, nine periods. Um, so, uh, I, I, I don't know how, how cricket works, but, uh, I'm going to try to explain this as fast as can, as fast as I can. So each half an inning, there's three outs. And as soon as you get those three outs, the other team 
gets a chance to hit. And whenever they get three outs, that that finishes an inning. So there's nine of those throughout the game. If the game is tied after nine, then you go into extra innings until somebody wins. So the starting pitcher is the guy that starts the game. And he is the person, he's the pitcher that goes the longest. So usually a quality start for a pitcher is around six or seven innings. And then we go to the relief pitchers, which they'll usually come in for about one to two innings. Uh, And then we have a closer. A closer is usually that guy that comes in whenever the team is winning and he's got to come down and and shut the game for us. Uh, Obviously for us, we want guys to play 162 games. Uh, That's our, that's our goal. But, um, and sometimes the manager will sit guys down. They won't play them because of strategic reasons. You know, sometimes a, a player doesn't perform well against uh, another team or against a certain pitcher. So, um, you know, but making them available every game, is it's our, it's our main goal. Now you, you answered that perfectly, uh, Rafael. Thank you very much. And we might have you again um, for another episode, maybe down the line and all the best with um, the Milwaukee Brewers in the, the season that's just about to start. So thank you very much, Rafael. Of course, Ross. Thanks for having me. Uh, It was fun. So yeah, looking forward to doing this again.